Greetings, adventurers. You are listening once again to the sage words and unconventional wisdom you can only get from we practitioners of the darkest of magical arts. Or, to put it another way, it's the weekly Necromancers of the Northwest podcast. Now, we may all be necromancers around here, but that doesn't mean that we don't appreciate other schools of magic, and this week we've devoted all the articles on our website to one of the most misunderstood schools, enchantment. As I'm sure you're aware, the School of Enchantment deals primarily with spells that affect the mind. While the school grants access to a variety of effects, including granting morale bonuses and penalties to a variety of things, or dealing mental ability score damage, the school is best known for its more insidious, potent, and potentially game-breaking effects, such as Charm Person or Dominate Monster. We're going to talk a bit more about the practical, at-the-table considerations of enchantment specialists and even dabblers a bit later in the show, but right now we're going to take a quick look at a little tome that might be of interest to would-be enchanters out there. It's called Encyclopedia Arcane Enchantment, Fire in the Mind, and like the other entries in the Encyclopedia Arcane series, it was put out by Mongoose Publishing. Long-time listeners may remember that, in previous reviews on this program, the Encyclopedia Arcane series has been kind of hit or miss. I was impressed enough by Encyclopedia Arcane components and foci to recommend it above another product we were reviewing, but I was decidedly unimpressed by Encyclopedia Arcane divination to the extent that I could hardly recommend the product. As a result, I went into the review with high hopes, but low expectations. Similar to the entry devoted to divination, the book begins with a discussion on the basics of the school, covering such topics as what sorts of spells generally fall into the category of charm and which are compulsion, and the fact that nearly all enchantment spells are opposed by will-saving throws, making the school as a whole less useful against willful opponents, and so on. In short, the beginning of the book serves primarily as an idiot's guide to enchantment, and along those lines, most of that section will be useful only to idiots, or, in more rare cases, those who are very new to the game. Despite that, though, there are some insights provided here which aren't immediately obvious to anyone who has skimmed the core rules. For example, the author briefly explores the concept of appearances and expectations, and the fact that an enchanter who carries a sword or is decked out in illusory armor will find that the last thing his opponents expect is for him to befuddle their mind, uh, and how those looking for the mysterious mastermind who has been dominating the local knighthood will hardly begin their search with someone who seems, for all intents and purposes, to be a rageaholic barbarian. After this, the book jumps into a selection of four prestige classes, all of which are unsurprisingly devoted to the enchantment school. Included here are the empath, who specializes in the emotional aspects of the school, the puppeteer, who specializes in compulsions, the dark temptress, who focuses on charms, and the mind mender, which takes the interesting and creative twist of focusing on using enchantments to heal minds instead of mucking them up. Unfortunately, these prestige classes suffer many of the same issues that plagued the divination book, such as unfortunately restrictive entry requirements, class features which have little to no mechanical effect and require heavy amounts of DM arbitration, a mix of painfully powerful abilities and painfully weak or otherwise undesirable ones, and abilities with super convoluted rules filled with, uh, full of odd caveats that produce bad design in the name of flavor. I was especially disappointed by the Mindmender class, which I feel has great potential, but which seems to focus almost exclusively on alternate, and considering the existence of spells like Break Enchantment and Dispel Magic, largely unnecessary, means of removing various enchantment effects, effectively limiting it to using enchantment to fight enchantment, rather than using enchantment to really serve as a tool for healing minds in general, although admittedly the latter would certainly have been a tall order to do well. Similarly, the Dark Temptress seems to have a lot more to do with detecting thoughts and fighting ghosts than it does with any kind of temptation, and I have yet to understand why one would need to have vampiric touch as a prerequisite to join the class. Uh, 
overall, the prestige classes have some interesting ideas, and there's lots of potential here, but the execution is poor, and reading through these classes, I was too busy being bothered by the needlessly complicated rules and other problems that I wasn't even able to consider any of them from the perspective of, would this be something I would ever want to play? I'm sure that with a decent amount of work, these classes could be polished into something worth putting in your game and that people might actually use, but as it is, I don't think any of these will be usable out of the box. Following the prestige classes are a number of spells, 38 to be precise. All of them are enchantment, and they cover the range all the way from 1st to ninth level. Uh, it's worth noting that 9 of those spells are the same spell at different levels, sort of like how Summon Monster 1 through Summon Monster 9 are technically different spells, but are really just the same thing with different numbers plugged in. There are high points and low points amongst the spells. For example, the 5th level spell, Shattered Will, requires the creature requires the target to succeed on a saving throw or else be rendered permanently unable to resist the caster's enchantment spells. That wouldn't necessarily be that terrible since it allows a save, but the spell goes on to specify that even if the saving throw succeeds, the target still suffers a minus 5 penalty on saving throws to resist the caster's enchantments, and that's permanent. Similar penalties to saving throws or bonuses to spell DCs are a common theme here. Uh, although Shattered Will is by far the worst offender. Uh, among the other spells, there are several good ideas which are implemented in questionable ways, such as Confidant, which causes a charmed target to be more likely to share secrets with the caster, or Thrall's Understanding, which allows the caster to communicate with compelled creatures regardless of language barriers. Overall, I'm having trouble finding any spells that I like in both concept and implementation, and the only one that comes to mind is probably Dazing Aura, a 5th level spell that essentially casts Daze on any creature that attacks the caster, albeit with a higher hit dice limit. Again, I have to say that this section will likely be worth more as idea fodder than actual game material, although with some work and tweaking, several of the spells here should be able to be salvaged by a competent DM. After this are a number of feats, which fall largely into the same pitfalls. Here we also see a large number of high charisma requirements, ensuring that, like the prestige classes, they will likely be of little use to wizards or clerics, at least as written. Uh, some of these are pretty cool, though, like Beloved Master, which allows you to essentially use a nearby charmed creature as cover, or the Sepulchral Smile feat, which allows you to use enchantment spells on Mindless Undead, although not on Intelligent Undead. While I personally think that's a bit backwards, it's a small detail in the large scheme of things. Again, though, many of these feats do very convoluted things, and they make it altogether too easy to drive the saving throw DCs through the roof, which is a surefire way to take an enchanter from having dangerous potential to derail games all the way through to being practically incapable of not ruining the entire campaign. Of particular note is the feat Virus Spell, a metamagic feat which allows for a spell to be transmitted from its original recipient to others via touch, provided it is non-damaging. This allows you to affect a total number of targets equal to your caster level squared, which is, to put it plainly, insane. Using Charm Person as an example, we find that since the feat requires a slot four levels higher than the spell normally would, we need a fifth level spell slot, which is one level lower than spells like Mass Suggestion or Symbol of Persuasion. And using this slot and this feat, one can charm a single person, and if they fail their save, ask them to go around touching others. This could spread exponentially until finally you've charmed no less than 81 people. And at higher levels, you can use it with Dominate Person at 17th level to prepare it as a 9th level spell and dominate no less than 289 people with a single spell slot. For the most part, though, the feats aren't too bad, and assuming the ridiculous entry requirements are ignored, or you're a sorcerer, they should mostly be fine. 
after this, the book takes a darker turn as it goes into detail about breaking a target's will through means beyond the scope of simple spells and moves into the realms of brainwashing. The author proceeds to outline a series of steps that can be used to permanently break the will of a creature, which involves capturing them and then, in essence, exposing them to a barrage of charm and compulsion spells. I personally found the entire thing distasteful to read and can only imagine that few DMs will relish the idea of having to suffer such treatment by proxy as out-of-control PC enchanters attempt to brainwash favored NPCs. This leads naturally into the Thrall template, which is what is applied to such broken creatures, and turns the creature into a mindless slave. Uh, the abilities in the template seem a bit powerful, all things considered, but they certainly give PCs an incentive to actually make one. Lovely. After a few magic items, the book concludes with a discussion of enchantment from a GM's perspective. This section is helpful in that it helps to highlight problems like PCs don't like it when you overuse compulsion effects and charm is really hard to use on PCs, etc., though the writer dramatically overestimates the association between will saves and enchantment spells, acting as though enchantments are the only spells that offer a will save. So you'll want to take this section with a grain of salt. So, what's the final verdict? Well, the book clocks in at a total of 68 pages and can be downloaded from DriveThruRPG for a mere $3.99, marked down from $14.95. While much of the book falls into the same problems as the Divination one, and many of the mechanical elements will be difficult, if not impossible, to use without tweaking, or in some cases, complete revision, there are some fun and flavorful ideas in there, and the discussion of enchantment and its fun uses and DM tricks are fairly solid. If you're experienced enough to not care about the advice, you're probably also experienced enough to fix the glaring mechanical issues, so there should ultimately be something in this book for everyone. That said, $3.99 is a lot to pay for what can only be considered a very rough draft of all the mechanics and a handful of pages of basic advice and strategy. If you're particularly interested in the subject material of enchantment uh, and would like to look at ideas to further expand enchantment in your game or, or to better be able to use enchantment, uh, by all means, give it a look. But otherwise, I think you can find something better to spend your money on. All right. Well, that certainly was interesting. Uh, definitely uh, dressing up like a barbarian is a way to help make your enchanter more powerful. Uh, though a lot of us uh, a lot of us as GMs don't necessarily think that, uh, that PC enchanters need to be more powerful all the time. Uh, as we, uh, we briefly cut on at the uh, beginning of the, uh, the podcast and beginning of the review here, enchantment is one of those schools of magic that has a, uh, has a serious opportunity to really derail campaigns, particularly when a powerful enchanter uh, gets a little power mad and, uh, and goes off the rails and becomes out of control. He is, uh, he is for the record, talking about me here. Um, I, uh, I do happen to, uh, happen to enjoy, enjoy playing Enchanters from time to time, and uh, recently, even when not playing Enchanters at low level, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to argue against taking sleep, which, for those of you who haven't tried using sleep in your games, uh, please do yourself a favor, if you're a wizard, take sleep uh, the next time you're, you're a low-level spellcaster, and, uh, and, and give it a shot at least once. You're, uh, you're going to be surprised. Um, you don't even need to. Uh, you don't even need to take spell focus. You don't even need to have the highest ability score you can get. You don't even need to have one of those bloodlines that just gives you a plus two bonus to the DC. Uh, trust me, it's it's very powerful. Uh, and generally speaking, you'll find that uh, GMs and, and players are going to find that enchanters are going to be at their most dangerous at basically three points in the game uh, are where they really shine the most at first level with sleep at um, 
whatever level they get access to fifth level spells depending on their class when they get access to dominate person and then at uh at when they get access to ninth level spells and they get access to dominate monster that's not to say that they won't accelerate at other points in the game but definitely those are the uh those are the three spells that most infuriate uh gms at least as far as i can tell uh, of those sleep is the uh, is the is the least infuriating at, at least for me uh, and uh, and the the most rewarding to take at the table. It's also the one that's that's least likely, in my opinion, to make the other players hate you. Uh, <laughs> whereas uh, whereas dominate anything is uh, is pretty much a one way ticket to uh, hearing about the Terrasque wandering around a lot of the time. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way necessarily. Uh, there there are things that that you can do to to uh, make sure that uh, the enchantment effects like that in your game can uh, can sort of coexist with the game in happiness. Uh, obviously, you know, you, you don't want to just outright ban spells like Dominate Person or whatever unless things are really, really badly out of hand and you somehow lost complete control over your gaming group and, uh, and everybody's really unreasonable and evil. Uh, but uh, most of the time, you, you don't want to ever get rid of an option like that because they're a fun part of the game. That, that you know keeps people in mind that yeah there's there's this risk of something really bad happening or uh you know it, it's fun to be able to dominate someone as an enchanter it's one of those things you really feel like you should be able to do with mind magic yeah and i mean you know it's it's one of those things that obviously it, it, it has balance problems sometimes but if you're not able to do it you suddenly you, you don't really feel like you're an enchanter anymore if if you know all of your dominating ability ends at the end of combat like certain editions of the game uh you know that that is the sort of thing that can alienate people and and cause you know people to to stick with with pathfinder sort of moving on to fourth edition for example uh which i assume you all did so thank you for that uh whatever the case um you know so it's ideally you don't want to you don't want to take that away and similarly ideally it's if possible you don't want to set things up so that you know there are there are plot important NPCs, and those NPCs cannot be dominated because I say so. They're important to the plot. Uh, again, you know that sort of uh, that sort of uh, thing kind of breaks immersion to some extent. It, it 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 is an option, and I have I have played games where my enchanter was was so uh, just disruptive to the way that things were going that I, I would volunteer. Hey, is this guy important? Cause if so, I won't dominate him even though, you know, I kind of want to, but like, like if he's important, just tell me, I won't do it. We'll, we'll do something else instead. And you know, that that's fine. If your players are okay with that, that's a way to handle it. Uh, but ideally, you know, there, there are other ways to work around enchantments and, uh, and not have to sort of, uh, take those kinds of shortcuts. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, that is definitely uh, definitely true. Uh, certainly, that kind of uh, out of character understanding stuff is a very effective way to deal with a you know out of control enchanter problem. But it, it is not necessarily the most satisfying way to go about it. Uh, there are definitely uh, definitely some other things you can do, and we're going to go ahead and uh, t- start by talking about I think uh, one that that works fairly well with long-term enthrallment of of characters and uh, particularly well with with charmed individuals but uh, to a lesser extent with with dominated uh, characters especially ones who have been dominated for a long time Uh, and uh, the name of the game is incompetence Uh, 
that uh, that that might sound uh, just a uh, just a little bit, uh, but the the point of of this approach is that just because you dominate, you know jim the butler and tell him to go do something doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to go ahead and accomplish that thing perfectly uh you know if you tell him to go clean the house he's probably going to be okay at that unless your your dominate instructions or whatever were poor and you you want to just be kind of a douchey gm and be like yeah so you didn't tell him to dust the cobwebs or or mop or anything you just said to pick up or or whatever uh, so you, you can sort of be like, yeah, so he was too dumb to figure it out. That's one way to approach that. But, uh, but in, in general, it, you know, they may not be able to accomplish the task or they might accomplish the task, but incur unintended consequences, for example. Yeah. The, uh, the, the basic idea here is that if you want something done right, you should do it yourself. Uh, and so, you know, all of these enchantment effects that, that muddle the mind, the same thing that is, that is making them slavishly obedient to you or, or worship you as an idol in the case of, you know, like, like the charm stuff. The, the, the reason that you can get them to do this is also the same thing that is maybe impairing their judgment in other ways. And so while they fawn over you and, and oh, wow, you're so great, when you need them to go, I don't know, run out to the store and pick up your spell components, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they decide that they want to save you the cost of the spell components, so they're going to steal them. And then they get caught for they, they get caught doing that and they run back to your house and now you've got the the town guards are banging on your door they they want to you know, you know what's going on here maybe they're going to find out that he's uh that he's you know been charmed and they they're upset about that or maybe you know maybe maybe the inside of your house has some stuff that you don't want them to see uh whatever but the the idea here is that through no intention of their own uh, sometimes at least, and, and depending on the particular NPC, maybe very frequently, uh, the NPC who is who has been enslaved uh, causes the PC's problems, uh, possibly even more than he, he creates solutions. Yeah, adopting this method has a, has a couple of major advantages. One, it's, uh, it tends to be very interesting. Uh, it gives your, your PC something to work with. Uh, while letting him know that that uh, dominate person is not a license to uh, to take over the game completely, uh, and, and it, it it does create interesting solutions like that, and it uh, it really does sort of show off that uh, that there may be further reaching consequences that that he didn't consider, and it at the very least will make him be more um, cautious and more uh, think think more ahead about what what it is he wants his his enthralled characters to do and how he's going about things. And it becomes more of a uh, more of an ultimate, you know, sort of gameplay kind of issue, and less of a. So he failed his dice check, and you know that means I'm I, I win now. Yeah, of course there are uh, there are some potential pitfalls with this as well. You want to make sure you don't uh, overuse it because that can get incredibly frustrating, and that that will often feel far more upsetting to uh, to players of enchanters if they feel like they can never win that way than you know those sorts of out of character agreements we were talking about before um another another approach that you can take is uh for one obviously there are protections against these sorts of things um i know before at least uh protection from evil etc would would i believe give you pretty much blanket immunity to this sort of thing uh i'm not in i, I know it doesn't do that now and i'm not entirely sure if it specifies at the moment that the spell has to be coming from the appropriate alignment which it didn't before but there are other things um uh spell immunity can get you uh first through fourth level enchantment spells you're immune to and then uh 
I, I believe there's a greater spell immunity that can get higher level ones. Mind blank, obviously, if your your character has access to really good stuff. Um, you know, also if you're rolling stuff behind the the table and you you are behind the screen and you really need that guy to not be enchanted, you know, judicious use of of fudging rolls is is probably acceptable there as well. Additionally, GMs who who um, you know know that they're going to be working with an enchanter can start to uh, take that into account when they're making their adventures or when they're preparing for their game, and they can say, well, you know, this would be a good guy to get dominated, and if he does, you know, he can he can give them this information or he can do these things and, and find ways to, you know, basically get the, the PCs where they're going anyway, but without doing that. And, and if you do that, then you start finding that, you know, really uh, when you start accounting for the ways that your enchanter starts to use that, the only major balance concerns you typically have for your... Uh, for your game with the enchanter is you know well he's dominated a bunch of ogres and and that's really i mean ogres not so much but hill giants and that's really uh potentially you know game breaking for for balance purposes yeah uh definitely this is uh this is something that uh that they can solve a lot of issues the uh the problem with uh, with particularly the first part with acquiring appropriate protections for everybody's making sure that it, it feels like those characters should have those protections. Uh, in, in some cases, this isn't going to be as hard as you think. For example, if you don't need the uh, the PCs dominating the king, well, the king probably knows there's wizards out there. So, uh, so it's definitely not all that unlikely that he's gone out of his way to procure protections from that. The same thing is probably true with important businessmen. Uh, so, you know, just make sure that you do put some thought into that so that they, they don't start thinking that, uh, so wait, the whole game is protection from, uh, from Enchanted? No, uh, that's no good. Uh, as far as, uh, making sure that you have something that the Enchanter can work with, that, that is very important, and it's going to let them feel like, uh, feel like that they're getting good use out of their ability, and is, uh, is also probably going to, uh, to reduce tendencies in general to just decide to start dominating everything in sight uh as far as um you know dealing with the he's got a bunch of dominated hill giants or whatever i do remember at one point playing a second edition game where uh where the first level cleric like charm personed or mammaled some uh some bugbear or something and he he like outshined all the uh all the fighter characters and more or less uh more or less took out the whole first floor of a dungeon with uh with, with that spell but uh you know as, as far as that goes just increase the cr of encounters and you can more or less combat that to a certain extent or you know uh it could certainly be real bad when uh when that that giant fails or succeeds at save at some point and uh and decides to turn on the caster uh. yeah and of course um you know if if you uh eventually it's not unrealistic that the party would encounter someone who could dispel the uh the charm or compulsion effect and they uh they may decide that that would be a wonderful tactic in combat uh and of course it probably would be um additionally uh one other thing that i want to make sure that we uh we mention as far as dealing with enchanters uh it's, it's important to, to remember that the people that this this enchanter is is dominating especially and and charming to a lesser extent they don't live in a vacuum uh very few of these people are, are going to have no friends or family or anything like that and so 
as he goes through, you know, collecting his various pawns or what have you, he's almost certainly going to leave in his his wake a uh, a, a huge number of people who are attached to his victims, uh, who may immediately figure out that something is wrong with them, or they may just suspect. But sooner or later, uh, it's entirely reasonable for him to be tracked down by the sister or mother or brother or son or whatever best friend of uh, of someone he's dominated, who you know may cause problems directly perhaps they're a pretty competent fighter or they may cause problems indirectly by bringing down the town guard or bounty hunters or assassins um you know there's there's lots of ways that this can get back to the people in your game probably understand that enchantment exists uh the sense motive check isn't that high especially for dominated characters um so you know bear that in mind as well that's another way that uh that unjudicious enchantment use can really bite somebody in the ass. Uh, that said, we're going to go ahead and try to squeeze in a very quick uh, seed to story now. It's been a little while since we've done one of those, so uh, let's go ahead and roll the dice on that. Fifteen. Uh, looks like that's going to be a mysterious fog brings ghosts into town. Okay. Uh... So, we're probably not going to just say the ghosts start attacking people in the mysterious fog, even though we are running out of time. <laughs> no, uh, actually, I think that would be a huge waste of something like this. Uh, I think that one of the cooler things you could do with this adventure is, uh, is obviously, you know, maybe, maybe the town is suddenly just, just full of ghosts, and, and there's ghosts everywhere, and they're not necessarily attacking anyone, but they're you know, maybe they're just going about regular everyday lives, or maybe they're they're particularly being creepy and haunting. But whatever the case, like all of a sudden, all over town, uh, everyone has ghosts in their attic and and ghosts in the street, and you know, like the the all of the various NPCs and townsfolk are are freaking out, and maybe the PCs have to put out a few fires, uh, you know, Ghostbusters Ghostbusters two style, uh, before they can go deal with the the source of this problem. Definitely, I like the uh, ghost as a nuisance angle. Um, just a uh, just a quick off to the side. Uh, what if maybe some of the ghosts that that come back are like dead relatives of the townsfolk? Uh, maybe people they want to see back, or maybe it's some people they want to see back. So they got people who who want you know that in general maybe they want the ghosts gone, but there's maybe you know one family's like, no, we can't see Grandpa Johnson go. It's great having him back, so there could be uh, there could be a little bit of a conflict there. Oh sure, yeah. In fact, uh, in fact, I, I I really like that. So maybe maybe the fog doesn't bring ghosts into town. Maybe the fog causes all of the 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 ghosts of people who died in the town. You know, like like just just regular townsfolk come back, and maybe maybe they don't understand their go that they're ghosts, and they try to just start living their lives. And all of a sudden, the town is filled with like like the population quintuples and there's just ghosts everywhere and and what's going on how are we going to deal with that um maybe they don't like uh like i, I know it's uh, it's supposed to be adventure time seed to story but wouldn't it be just kind of cool to have a have a town that that had a huge population of, of ghosts just going around living their everyday lives uh i i think it would be kind of uh kind of interesting to uh to, to be able to deal with uh, lots of people from time past but maybe the ghosts are a little off or or maybe eventually they start disappearing they're worried about the the fog rolling out and vanishing again or or about its second coming there could be uh there, there could be some kind of uh some kind of problem where, where maybe they, they don't want to get rid of the ghosts 
Yeah, that could certainly make for an interesting town. And if you're looking for uh, if you're looking for a place to have the PCs visit and be memorable, or you know, depending on the type of campaign, it could even make a good sort of home base sort of town. Uh, it definitely sounds like there's a lot of example for a lot of a lot of potential for quirky, interesting characters there and and stuff that the PCs are going to remember. It's really going to take them off guard if uh, if there's you know uh, the the town where the majority of people are are ghosts. And perhaps uh, by the nature of being ghosts, a little bit erratic and uh, and and eccentric. Uh, and then, obviously, as uh, as the campaign went on, you know, perhaps uh, perhaps the uh, the fog, which would heretofore have been a uh, would have sort of just been sitting around in the city, would have been sort of like I envision it sort of like a London with a bunch of ghosts. Uh, London's kind of quirky anyway uh, and very foggy. But uh, anyway, um, you know, may- maybe the fog starts to thin and we find ghosts disappearing. And the fog is, you know, leaving, and we've we've completely reversed the adventure. But anyway, um, you know, or or maybe maybe for whatever reason the uh, the PCs uh, are hired to, or the PCs are curious and they want to find out why there's so many ghosts here. And you know, there's there's certainly an adventure in that. There could be uh, could be a magic item, could be a curse, could be lots of things. Um, so there's there's actually uh, surprisingly a lot of fun things you can do with uh, with a fog full of ghosts, and uh, hopefully. You have uh, you've enjoyed one of them and we've inspired something. In the meantime, uh, we're going to actually try and end on time for once. So we're going to uh, to go ahead and probably wrap things up right about now. So be sure to join us next week. Uh, we're going to have, uh, I guess it's a non-theme week, so we'll have uh, all sorts of different articles on the website. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll be here on the podcast talking about uh, our experiences with D&D Next and the playtest. So... Uh, Thank you very much for for joining us, uh, and have a great game.